This week on Out Now with Aaron and A, we're doing more of a September catch-up. Do you guys like TV? Because we're doing it. Wait a minute. I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is once again out on assignment. Um, Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then they have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something very different. This is another uh, another jumble of things. Let's face it, September has highs and lows. More lows, generally, as far as new releases go. And we like to cover some big releases. Uh, but sometimes it just doesn't warrant us to do like a full episode on Smallfoot, for example, or even Night School, which was both of those top the box offices weekend. So instead, we're going to do another round of just kind of what we've been watching lately at the theater, um, some trailers that came out recently, we can talk about those, and just kind of go back and forth. And to do that with me this week, um, we have, from all your favorite hotspots in L.A., keeping all new TV potential in mind, it's Jonathan Van Dyke. hey <laughs> John, you're back. How are you doing? You know, I'm hanging in there. I'm 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 ready. I'm ready to rock. It's Good. been a while. All right. It has been a while. Was the Avengers? Was that the last time? I, I I was trying to feel like I was like, did I talk about Avengers? I I mean I saw it in time. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, like since you got Movie Pass and before Movie Pass became what it is which we might also talk about this week <laughs> you, you were actually getting getting to see some movies on time for a change which was so i know cool. i was i was i was in the mix yeah was, you know i was i was there i was doing i was doing stuff yeah so what better way to celebrate that than to like leave you off the podcast for three months and then see what we can do from there yeah precisely i mean it makes sense on paper yeah maybe, exactly um all right so let's um Let's try something here. Let's uh, let, let's uh, let's go through some show notes real quick. Let's get some some announcements out of the way. Um, first up, by the time this episode releases, it will be October, um, and every day, uh, every October and out now, we like to have these special um, a series of bonus horror themed episodes. So we've been doing them for the past, I think, four years now, and they've all been always been a lot of fun. Where uh, Abe and I are joined by a friend of the show, Brandon Peters, uh, Jason Coleman, and Jimmy O among others, and we talk about the specific topics in the horror genre. Um, and it's we've talked about the various decades of horror, we've talked about slasher films, we've talked about uh, various director spotlights for people like John Carpenter, for example, so it's, it's always fun to do those. And you know it, we do have uh, five more new episodes on the way. We will be going through those in the, year, in the month to come. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have a lot of variety, um, speaking both to actually topics of the time, um, in relation to horror, which I think will be interesting, as well as some other uh, fun bonuses. So stay tuned for those. Those will be arriving every week in October. Um, so yeah, that should be good stuff. What else? Uh, last week on the show, or two weeks ago, recently we interviewed a friend of the show, Terrence Johnson, who is both a critic as well as a filmmaker, and he had his web series premiere, The Vampire Resistance Corps. That's on YouTube now. We put it on the Facebook page, a link to it, and on our Twitter page, but you can find that now. You just search on YouTube, The Vampire Resistance Corps. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cool web series so far. Uh, there's one, like, there's like six episodes. The first one's up now. They come out every Wednesday until, uh, Halloween. Uh, congrats to Terrence again. Good to have you know, an interview we have with him that's on iTunes and, you know, he shows up so you can watch that too. And I think that's everything. <laughs> um, iTunes reads ratings. Good to get those. Helps out our show. Helps people find the show. Log on to iTunes. Search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can uh, find our show. You can give us a rating and a review. That'd be great. Okay. I think I got all that done now. Actually, we're, we're recording on uh, 
<laughs> hashtag International Podcast Day. So I wanted to point that out as well. Uh, all right, <laughs> that's all that said and done. Let's um, let's do, let's get to some trailer talk. Uh, we, each week we talk about new trailers on the show, um, what we thought of them, what they're coming out, what have you. And this week we got well, we got one main one that we're gonna get into, and there's like a number of like follow up trailers to the initial ones uh, that we generally don't do. But Abe's not here because he doesn't like to watch those. Uh, so we might talk. So you about know, you, you made me watch them instead. I didn't make you watch them. I just figured <laughs> you'd probably watch them. <laughs> but, uh, I know. I guess the internet made me really. Yeah, exactly. The internet made you do it. But yeah, let's talk about the trailer for Dark Phoenix. This is the new <laughs> X Men film that's was set to arrive next February. It's since been pushed to June. That's fun things that we can also talk about in a second here. Um, but for the time being, let's talk about Dark Phoenix, which is the latest chapter in the X-Men saga. It follows X-Men Apocalypse, not what many would consider a franchise high. How about you, John? Where are you at with, with this Dark Phoenix? Um, I definitely watched it immediately when I heard it was out. But uh, right afterwards, I was like, ugh. Um, and then I just watched it again right beforehand to see if my UG was misplaced. And I guess my big takeaway is that, uh, I didn't like hate Apocalypse, but I didn't like it either. And I think it's like just passing through my life without meaning, like made me surprised at how, like, I forgot, like, I forgot that these, like, we're supposed to care about like the new characters that like or Jean Grey and, and, and Cyclops and stuff. Like, I, I actually do still feel, like, beholden to, like, Professor X and Mystique and, like, the people who built the current iteration. But the new characters that all got introduced last time, like, didn't make a mark on me. And so it was kind of weird to watch this trailer where it's really heavy on these new characters that didn't really make an impression on me. So I'm not... That, that was kind of my first thing. And then, and then my second is that Oh, they're not going to go intergalactic. Womp womp. <laughs> I mean, they're in space in a scene. Like, there's space stuff going on. Yeah, no. I guess I was hoping if we were going to reboot something that we did really terribly, like, how many years ago now? That um, that maybe they were just going to go full kitschy space opera. So I guess I was a little bummed that, that we Again, were going that I, I, I think they are going to space, though. Maybe not, like, in the most giant of capacities in the way that, like, I don't know, Guardians movies do. But... I do think that we're going to see some cosmic interference with the Phoenix story, just given some scenes from the, especially because that's like more effects heavy. So it's probably like, it's not finished yet to like show all that. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do you, where do you, where do you stand? I mean, I, you were, you were much more down on the X-Men franchise than I was going into apocalypse. Going into apocalypse. Yeah. No, I was with the X-Men franchise going into apocalypse. Like I, I, I like days of future past. I don't like days of future past as much as other people do, but I think it's fine. And I'm, I'm like the biggest fan of the Wolverine, which I, so like, I, I was, I, I'm, I was on the up going into Apocalypse. It was coming out of Apocalypse that I was at the low for the franchise, because I think that's the, the weakest of the entire series. No question. I'm not kidding. I think it's the absolute worst of the X-Men franchise. And so uh, I feel like maybe they are still kind of like dealing with the fallout of this, like multiple cast, multiple timelines reconfiguring. Cause it did, I don't know. It just seems like, I do care a lot about, like, the James McAvoy, you know, <laughs> Fassbender, you know, level cast. But, like, they didn't give me any – but we're trying to transition, and, and, and I'm not ready to transition. Well, the biggest issue I have with this movie, as far as setting it up goes, is that we're the, the lead character is now Sophie Turner's Jean Grey, who had a lot 
of her scenes cut out of X-Men Apocalypse. So it's like, I'm supposed to be attached to this person as a character who is part of this new school where most of their scenes were left on the cutting room floor in favor of a needless Wolverine cameo and more right. Not a, I don't drama. even know who plays Cyclops, technically. <laughs> it's uh, Ready Player One himself, Ty Sheridan. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, he. I mean, none of them left an impression because they didn't have anything to do in Apocalypse. They, they, they cut out all the character stuff in favor of needless destruction scenes, again, involving Wolverine. Because you right. can't, you can't then, make these movies without Wolverine or Magneto lifting something heavy. I don't know. Does this does this to you kind of feel like that? Like literally, we're following the the Spider Man timeline. It's like we're gonna do this one. It's not really gonna work. And then Kevin Feige is gonna come in, save the day, and reboot it. It's funny because it... I'm gonna have more to say about Spider Man movies later on in this show <laughs> uh, because they were rewatched by myself and Anna this weekend, and um, good things came from that. Um, but I, that said, I've never been against Amazing Spider Man. But again, we'll get to that. That's what with, with this. What struck me most about the Dark Phoenix trailer is how much it resembles The Last Stand, X-Men The Last Stand. Right. Like, it's it's like, all right, we're going to try to do this again. And you would think that, you know, given the – and I I like Last Stand more than most. I wouldn't say it's great, but I don't hate it in the same way some people do. But it feels like if the audience reaction to The Last Stand is any indication of how you shouldn't do things with the Dark Phoenix story – I don't feel like it makes sense to cut a trailer that very much reminds you of that movie. And that's basically what happened here. You get a lot of the same, like, okay, Charles did a thing, and now Jean, like, her power's being unleashed, and Magneto's involved, and maybe and Cyclops gonna... is like, guys! Yeah, it's like... Uh, Jean. Really? Like, he has nothing to do with this, and he's supposed to be, you know, her one true love. So it's like, yeah. what's going on with this trailer that we're supposed to, like, get excited about? Only well, they cut out the one thing the audience probably did care about, which is there's probably going to be no Logan in this one. <laughs> well, you'd have to cut it out. He's not there. Like, yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing to cut out of this thing. Well, I mean, I don't know. You can, can we really trust Fox? <laughs> Could it be months from now, and I'll be like, whoops! Hugh Jackman's done! He's done! Like, he's not doing, he's not getting to that kind of shape again if he doesn't have to. Like, that's, he's got other things going on. Well, he'll just put on a muscle suit, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, the trailer, it it didn't do much for me because there's just nothing it seems to be selling that's all that interesting. Like, Apocalypse had Apocalypse. This is all just... As much as I was, like, lukewarm on the initial presentation of Oscar Isaac as Apocalypse, Days of Future Past obviously had the whole time travel element to it. What's this movie have that makes it stand out as far as an X-Men movie? And it's like, I'm not sure what that is, because it's the biggest thing should be, okay, it's a female-led X-Men movie, except I don't really care about this person so far. I just know the character because I know the comics, and I know Fomka Johnson's interpretation of the character from before. So it's like, what's new? What's new in this realm? Right. So it's... Hard to be excited about it. I mean, I guess what's new in this film is we got... Oh, man, am I going to blow this right off the gate? Well, Jessica Chastain's in there Chastain, to somebody. Right? That's, yeah. that's who we got. That's, what, that's what's new. You're going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So I guess what we're ultimately saying is that um, this trailer offered up more fodder for us to kind of like wring our hands rather than get excited well yeah and the, well, the weird thing is that or not the weird thing but the the possibility here is that this is probably the last like x-men movie of this universe. generation yeah this generation because the fox disney deal is happening we don't really we don't know what territory we're going to be in after this so for a series that's been going on for 18 and a half years now since 2000 with the first X-Men and without having serious reboots or anything like that as far as you know what they're doing given timeline weirdness and whatnot 
you know, it's going to end. It's going to come to its conclusion. And I just hope that's a worthy conclusion of whatever it is, because I don't know what they're going to do when they somehow incorporate this comic franchise into the MCU, but it's not going to stay how it is. I can tell you that much right now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, will I probably see it? Yes. Is it likely I'll see it in theaters? I, I mean, X-Men is my favorite of all of these, even if they haven't always done it perfect. I guess my favorite, regardless of movie, I guess it doesn't necessarily always been my favorite movies, but I mean, I'll see it. I just, uh, I just, like you said, I mean, why do you latch on so to the X-Men movies so much? Why do you latch on to these so much? I'm so curious. What do you mean, latch on? As far as like this being your your favorite of the of the um of like the various superhero universes this is the like your go-to because i see if well, I, mean, I see I a franchise like i comics, see a branch the comics i like i uh-huh. like the actual inherent comic characters of it all that's i think that to me that just seems like more reason not to have this as my favorite because it's like you could be doing so much more with this and you don't you could just continue to give me pretty much the same story over and over oh, again. no no i'm <laughs> saying i don't i'm not saying like yay the movies i'm just saying this is the franchise that i wish was the best no, well, that's, or that that's, i would want to go to the most that's so. completely fair i can understand that I, I and so i will usually put up with more bs than some of the other ones you know there's, I, I definitely feel resignation going forward right now, <laughs> rather than excitement for this one. I guess is my my end takeaway, unfortunately. And like, what? Lo- were you a big Logan fan? Did you look like Logan? Um, I, I would say I, I like. I, I would say it was it, it was so well executed, even if it doesn't quite maybe deserve its Oscar level <laughs> nod that it kind of got. Like, I, I did still think. That that was a good direction. I do kind of, I do kind of like the idea of like, and this is kind of almost goes for DC too, where it's like these two universes that haven't quite worked completely as universes. Like maybe just let them go off and do weird things and like be unconnected, even if they need to be, etc. Um, well, we'll, we'll so see. we might talk about that a little bit later, um, as far as weird decisions that these things could be making. Um, in how to expand these universes in a way that's different than just going with the standard quote. I completely agree with you about Logan, by the way. I am as far as, like, I'm a big fan of the movie, but I wasn't, like, that high on it. But, yeah, no, you know, they did a good job. Um, we need, we should keep moving, because we have to talk about a lot of this. But I, I think this brings us to an interesting topic as far as when Dark Phoenix is coming out, because I did mention this already. It was supposed to come out Valentine's Day 2019, um, that changed the day after the trailer was released. <laughs> uh, the day after they presumably printed up lots of uh, movie posters and theaters uh, that have to now change their dates, which is always seems both stressful and amusing to me at the same time. The movie is now set to open June 7th, 2019. And in its spot, they're putting Alita Battle Angel, the Robert Rodriguez-directed James Cameron-produced film that was supposed to open in December, which is a move that makes sense to me because there are six other movies opening around all on the same date with Aquaman, Bumblebee, Mary Poppins, Holmes and Watson, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, Mortal Engines. There's a lot of things. That's a lot of movies that is named and they're all opening in December within a week of each other. Most of those on the same day. So yeah, I feel like the weird sci-fi movie is a good move to get out of there at the same time. 
Um, they're moving uh, Deadpool 2, a PG-13 cut, into the the replacement slot for Fox for that December date. Have you heard about this, John? You, you know what this is? I, I did not know that they were like, how much more money can we get out of Deadpool? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what's happening. So they have apparently they're going to re-release Deadpool 2 into theaters around on like the 19th or whatever, the 21st, the 21st, December 21st. And it's going to be like an edited version of Deadpool 2 so it fits a PG-13 rating and in in doing so cuz this is like a they put up an image online of Ryan Reynolds and Fred Savage reenacting like Princess Bride so like as if like Deadpool will be like narrating the Deadpool story to Fred Savage in his bed like, in the same huh? he's like even wearing like the Bears jersey and everything just like in Princess Bride so it's like he'll like skip I guess skip over like the really like extreme parts and be able to tell that story so like all audiences can see a deadpool movie in theaters mm. <laughs> like there's a I mean, if it's like, more than just a uh, recut movie yeah it'd be interesting but i mean there's uh i mean in fact <laughs> i'm like yes let's talk about another superhero movie <laughs> it yeah one I that know. already yeah. came out <laughs> So but how does that strike you? By just me saying that to you right now. I mean, I guess it's just uh, <laughs> we can't like. I mean, it's uh, it's been a good year from like movie box office, right? Like this just seems like stuff they they would be doing on like a bad year. <laughs> like how much you know? I don't know. Yay, commercial enterprise. <laughs> I mean, I, it serves two purposes. One is just to increase Deadpool's overall box office take for bragging rights, but also. It shows the potential that Deadpool could have if he were to play in an MCU universe, you know, because mm-hmm. like, if, if Fox could get away with making this kind of cut and then saying, OK, so this Deadpool character does work in a an MCU world, he can interact with these characters and we can get away with that. It might not be the best look for super fans of Deadpool that enjoy the fact that he's R rated and can get away with things that other movies can't. But right. it also means, hey. You know, money, money, money. We can, we can, we can add this guy in. And... Yeah, and I, I don't see why they couldn't. Like, honestly, they with the new Spider-Man got Peter Parker started getting more quippy. I mean, Deadpool and small doses in the Marvel universe could probably do that too. But, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know where they're gonna find all this room. I, if they actually merge X Men and Avengers, like, I, can we? I don't. Well, I mean, it would all it take is. some I, time. I think like, back to being, I think mm-hmm. back to being like a reporter and having to like uh, cover like a, a city council debate for like a seat where there were thirteen candidates, and like I had to write a story that at least gave all thirteen one at least a line, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like thinking about those future screenwriters being like. Oh, we we did it. We got every Avenger one line or one moment. And then they're like, hey, but w- w- what about if we added these, like, 10 X-Men? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, again, it's a thing that it's going to take some time before it actually happens. So it's, True. And, like, as much as I'm sure Feige, Kevin Feige's, like, running around, like, trying to add all this up in some kind of amazing timeline that he's figured out for the next 10 years of Marvel, it's not like, you know next year we're gonna be like by the way x-men are suddenly joining the mc you know we're you know uh, cyclops cameo at the end of the avengers 4 and we're on right of course i i guarantee like i i don't know it seems pretty obvious that your first step might be like even 
a reboot of just Wolverine because Wolverine's kind of one of the most crossover of those characters, at least in the comics. I'd be surprised if that's the step they take, just given the fact they have to fill the shoes of Hugh Jackman. It's like, is that the easiest thing to, but I don't know. They made Spider-Man. I don't know. They, they, did they just filled the, yeah. filled the, I was about to say, they filled the shoes of one Toby Mac. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, well, that's a lot of X-Men talk. So let's move on from there. Um, we got a number of new trailers this week, um, in addition to Dark Phoenix, that are kind of uh, new trailers for movies that are already coming up. And I wanted to kind of go through some of these quickly, um, both, be- both because I'm curious of your take on them and because I just want to address them in general. Um, let's talk about Bumblebee. Uh, where are you at with these Transformer films so far? I, I want to <laughs> believe in Bumblebee quite a bit. You, I, I do too. Like you and I are are, mm-hmm. are are bigger Transformers people than most yeah. in, in this arena. And I generally def- defended Transformers pretty vehemently up until the last one. Yeah, agree. That just got <laughs> a little too exhausting. And also, I, I was... I was sworn to believe that this was actually going to be Unicron for real, and then it wasn't. I was kind of like, oh. But this one uh, was exciting right off the bat because they were going to make Starscream Starscream again. Um, I know that's probably like the weird that that, that that's where you know I guess there's some fanboy level because that that's not what you would take out of the trailers. No, I think it I think it is for like fans of like the of Transformers the you know the toys and comics and just the things that aren't the Bay movies because the biggest takeaway I have is yeah that they were going to see more Transformers that actually resemble the kind of the prime version of Transformers you're used to seeing like the, sound, right, the, it, the it, shot it of Soundwave like, like is a clear shot right. Right. There. Well, in the first in the first. Um, trailer mm-hmm. i mean really i think did get me like kind of into it because it looked like it was gonna go micro mm-hmm. and it did kind of feel kind of like what if we combine like a 1980s style you know comedy comedy or very light drama universe with like an origin story um and it didn't look like it was going to, you know, we'd kind of gone as far as we could go with maximalism. So let's kind of like restart. And I mean, the first Transformers, I think, still holds up really well. I know they got better at the Transformers CGI and stuff, but I don't feel I, I feel like that first one kind of was perfect. The first was the only one I felt actually had the weight of Transformers in mind. Like, mm-hmm. like when they took steps, it left an impact where the rest like never really went there again. I can understand that's a diff- and that's a that's not a minor thing. It really doesn't matter. But it, in terms of how do we compensate for giant robots in this world, that first film seemed like it took that aspect somewhat seriously in a way that actually made it work. Like it made it it made it feel plausible that I'm watching this thing where the rest of them feel more or less cartoony, which is not a bad thing right. for a thing that's based on toys and comics. But at the same time, well, right. Like it it the first like... one felt like a. a it felt like a big movie that, like... Well, the first one had, like, a screenplay, too. Yeah. But <laughs> it had the most involvement from Spielberg. Like, the rest of them just have kind of his name involved. He's like, yeah, I don't need to... to well, and by the this. last one, it was, like, almost like... A, like, how it seems like... And this is a whole other aside, but, like, how it seems like some comedies are now, where they're like, here's, here's some funny people, just say some stuff. They're uh-huh. not really script. Yeah. And, like, it seemed like Bay had almost got to the point where he was like, all right, uh, here's some funny voices say whatever you want kind of a plot, but not really whatever. And so like, this would be a nice, I don't know. This still looks like it, it could hopefully be a kind of a nice return to uh, something a little bit more storyline plot and just like good feels. Uh, can you remind me who's 
who's who's backing this one up um, the now direct, Bay's out of the picture the director is travis knight who is uh, he's the co like one of the founders of Leica, the animation studio and directed kubo and the two strings ah uh, that's right so that's, it's, that's, that's a that. big reason why i'm very excited um Although, and so I guess with all that said, kind of the trailer, I would say, takes one tiny step backwards from the first one, if only because it seemed to like hint toward maybe in the end this is going to have like a giant <laughs> robot I... free for all or something at the end rather than be kind of just maybe a tiny little I... scout. I'm, you know, Starscream scouting Earth and Bumblebee maybe delays him for a few more years before the next Transformers happens. I'm, I'm fairly convinced that the kind of bigger stuff we see is more or less flashback stuff or stuff that, yeah, that, I wonder that, 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 op- that opens the film as opposed to where it's headed. Mm. Um, I, I, want to, I want to doubt there's probably still going to be, you know, some big bang stuff happening at the, the end of this movie. Um, well, and they're still not really playing their hand with anybody other than Haley Steinfeld. And like and John Cena. yeah. Well, like John Cena, does he, I don't even feel like he gets like a line in the trailer. Instead, you just kind of like see him looking like he has, he has a line in the new one. He, he says like he has... you know these things are dangerous. They did this to me, and he like has a scar on his face or something like that. Like yeah. And, but no, I, I know what you're saying. Yes, he's not like it's not blockers, John Cena. <laughs> like he's not making jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but, so um, um, so I mean, ultimately, this, this I still feel heartened that this will be a solid reboot. That, that's. I think this trailer didn't do anything to dampen my enthusiasm. No, it's not. It's not, move, it's not quite moving the dial for me either. But at the, I'm, I'm at the same level. But that said, I'm convinced there's a lot of possibility this could be the best Transformers movie. Like, I, I'm happy to praise the first one for what it is and more or less support most of the other ones. But I won't be surprised if I walk out of Bumblebee thinking, "Oh, that's a that's just a legitimate good movie that I can praise for the things it does really well, as opposed to defend the things that it does poorly." Right, and I guess my only like, I'm fine with where it's going, but I I kind of wish they had let, especially because of the pedigree of the background. Uh-huh. Like, if Bay's gone, it would have been almost kind of nice if they could have just maybe rebooted the design. I mean, they and they are rebooting the design in a lot of other ways, but like. I would have been fine if they well, wanted to completely kind of do whatever they wanted to design wise, well, but I, a, I get that they It's want. a soft reboot for sure. Like yeah. it's doing, it's going back to basics. It seems and like the this is a make or break movie for Paramount as far as what they're going to do with the series. Because if it doesn't do well, then they probably will have to reboot it completely and do something completely different or put it out to pasture, which rarely happens. So why even think about that? Uh, but if it does well by what it is, then. Again, I don't. I mean, it could be like we we're saying with superhero movies, it could just become like Elseworlds Transformers movies and kind of do other spinoffs or something like that. Well, and it's going like you said, it's kind of launching in a weird place for it. So yeah, yeah. that'll be it'll be interesting to see what I'm gonna watch this December. <laughs> the last thing I want to point out, something that I just felt was notable, the tra- and I was talking about this with my lovely girlfriend. The trailer or the film, it shot one eight five. Which means it's like it's taking up the whole frame, or it's like it's widescreen, but it's like it's bigger. And I, I noticed that I was like, why does this look so big? Why does this look so interesting to me compared to the other? Tra-? And then I looked at like my Blu-rays for Transformers, like, oh, because Michael Bay for some reason shot all of his movies two thirty-five, so they're all like wide, so they're super widescreen. Yeah. And I was thinking, why is he doing this? Like, I just I, I never really thought about that until I watched this trailer is like why did Bay shoot these movies this way where he's cramming like tiny humans and giant robots with like all this land on the side of both of them it doesn't make any okay. sense so i'm like i mean i remember that really sticking out in maybe 
three Transformers ago. It was uh, the only one I accidentally saw in 3D, and it really stood out. Uh huh. Yeah, it's weird. it's such a like now that I look back on it, it's like why is he doing this 235 the whole time? This makes no sense. So I'm like, oh, so Travis Knight's making some clear choices here of how he wants to do this, and I'm all for that for sure. Like this movie could be a pile of crap as far as the script goes, but at least it's probably gonna look really good as far as the Transformers movie goes. Like I'm happy about that. So. We'll, we'll see what happens, but Bumblebee arrives at theaters uh, December 21st. Rolls, it took longer than we talked. Let's roll some stuff with some of the other ones. Uh, Fantastic Beasts, you interested at all? Harry Potter doing his thing? Uh, I mean, I watched the first one in a in an airplane, and it was, it was fine. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. I like Fantastic Beasts more than I expected. I don't read these books, so I'm just kind of like, hey, I see these movies. And obviously there's no books for this Fantastic series. I understand that. But I'm watching this trailer, I'm like, oh, this looks pretty good. So I'm happy. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Creed two, what are you thinking? Ah, no Coogler. I want. I want to. I want to believe. I think. I think it'll be good, but I think it'll be good in completely different reasons than for Creed one. Yep, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, like literally, they'll they'll be from, they'll feel like they're from different universes in some ways. Yeah, I. I hope it's just more than another Rocky sequel. That said, all the Rocky sequels are varying degrees of very entertaining sports movies. Um, so, you know, <laughs> if at the very least I get a very entertaining sports movie, I can't be too disappointed. Right. Um, and, I, and like, we know going in, like, it's not a Ryan Cougar joint coming off of Fruitvale Station and whatnot. It's just a sequel to Creed with... That's also a sequel to the goofiest of Rocky movies. Um, so um, that's taking it very seriously, which is another interesting uh, choice. So uh, we'll see. I I guess I, I guess I think we're both saying we hope it's more of a sequel to Creed than a sequel to Rocky. So, this is the one I needed the least amount of like more trailer. Like I almost kind of wish I didn't see this trailer. Yeah, I can see that. Um, all right, let's stop with trailer time. Let's get because we, <laughs> we there's plenty of stuff we can go over. So let's start. Doing but what that. about Mary Poppins? We can save Mary Poppins for another time. Um, okay, so between the two of us, we've seen a number of uh, movies recently. I'm going to give you the hand first and just go, let's just start kind of going back and forth on, uh, on some movies that we've seen. And, and then some, uh, some are old, some are new. Essentially what we're doing here is, uh, we're doing a little, you watching this? Are you, are you watching that? Hey, 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 hey over there. You, you watching this? You, and, you, you um, seen that? and, uh, I guess my, <laughs> the thing I reached out to you first this week was uh have you watched this and of course you you have but um this is a deep old cut but it just got in front of me for some reason i i was derelict in duty mm-hmm. uh, i watched annihilation this week uh-huh. finally and uh, i loved ex machina so i mean i was ready to watch this but for some reason it slipped through the cracks when it must have initially come out on dvd or whatever because obviously it was i feel like this is one of the fastest like in the movie theater, out the movie theater <laughs> movies of this year. It didn't get much play there. And I don't know. I was transfixed by Annihilation. Like, I was all in on it. I don't know if it's... I've, I've become a sucker for this this type of movie. Um, but uh, Meditative horror sci-fi films? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because I loved... Uh, why am I... Oh, my God. I'm blanking on the ScarJo one. But... Uh, Oh, under the under the skin, under the skin. Yeah, under the skin. Okay. I thought it was one of the best movies of that year. That this, if you're gonna compare anything, you probably compare this to that. But um, I don't know. I just thought Annihilation was like this 
this beautiful like but like much more of a horror movie than i expected it to be uh-huh yeah it's very and the it, atmosphere is like, very heavy for sure it's like most disturbing parts like really do stick with you um and i i don't know i just I, if people miss this or like they i i know it didn't get like just the greatest across the board reviews but but to me like, like it was, it was i i found it, it just got, about it had strong reviews like it didn't get, it got it, it sat up, up high as far as like its critic score goes. Was it okay? All right. Yeah, eighty-seven. Uh, guess... Eighty-seven of Rotten Tomatoes is my for my, for whatever's that huh. worth. Yeah. For whatever reason, when I I just remember coming out, it it just didn't like click for some reason. And maybe that's just because like Ex Machina became kind of this weird little cult thing with like and was highly memeable because of the dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but for whatever reason, this one didn't stick out as much. But I mean, the, its cast is so good um and it's just it's mood it's my favorite thing or one of my favorite things in movies is like the ability of a movie to be kind of slow and yet riveting if that makes sense i hear you and um for those that want to hear our opinions on annihilation abe and i recorded not one but two episodes on it because we talked both about the film in a regular episode and then we had a kind of a more spoiler focused episode on annihilation uh back in February. <laughs> but, uh, See, boom, synergy. I'm, I'm going. I'm, 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 you know, I'm giving the people an ability to go back in the past. I, I am big on the film, though. I do think it's a, it's a, a really good watch. It's, it's stuck with me for a variety of reasons, and one that I, I look forward to kind of revisiting towards the end of the year when I have to start kind of compiling, you know, what, what, what are the ones that stand out the most for me. Um, I want to go into a film, one of the new films that came out this week, just to get that out of the way. Um, you seen this? You watching this? Um, it's only in five theaters, so I don't expect too many people to have seen it so far, but it's The Old Man and the Gun. Um, this is the Robert Redford film, his uh, supposedly his final film performance, though he's backtracked that in the wake of saying that he's retiring from acting. It's directed by David Lowry, who did um, Anthem Body Saints, A Ghost Story, and Peach Dragon. Very similar films, all of those. This one is basically a crime comedy um, where Robert Redford plays an aging bank robber. It's based off a true story about a true person that was an aging, it was like a career criminal. It's quite good. I, I really enjoyed this. Anna and I saw this. Um, I had a lot of fun watching it. I, I think Redford is absolutely terrific here. He's having a lot of fun. He plays this kind of nice guy criminal where his method for getting the money from banks is he just kind of smiles politely and asks for it claiming that he has a gun on him um and it's that's fun but like it's not really about the crime element as much as it's about him and his like the developing romance with uh, sissy spacek who plays just a random person he meets and he kind of strikes up a relationship with her on the other side you have casey affleck who plays like a kind of a frumpy cop he's married he has kids but he's also like he gets on the trail of robert redford and so he kind of does a little dance of him as well as far as trying to catch this guy and it's just it's just a good movie it's a very it's a it's a Fun film. I think it works for anybody. Um, it's like, I think it, 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 I thought it was PG. It's PG 13, but there's like nothing in it, like as far as content goes. It's just like a good all around, hey, want to see Robert Redford like act really cool for an hour and a half? This is the movie for you. Like it works. Um, so yeah, I was, I was a big fan of this one, Old Man of the Gun. Anna loved it, by the way, too. She was a big fan. I mean, it's, it's getting buzz. Uh, I literally only knew its title today because somebody like tweeted back to back posters of it and were like, no. <laughs> Because, like, I think one was, like, a very stately, like, Redford and, like, almost cowboy hat poster by himself. And then in the other one was, like, a very, like, cluttered, <laughs> ridiculous new post, new school poster. And they were, like, 
don't change things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably, yeah, Redford. I'm in. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what you what you seen? What else? Something, something I wanted to to touch on is uh, you are you in on this uh, this <laughs> Netflix rom com revival thing going on here? I uh, I certainly noticed it, and I've seen my share of them. Um, I the other week when I was sick, I decided uh, I just needed to get in on it, and uh, I did a little double feature of set it up and to all the boys I loved. Okay, I've, I've seen, I've seen the, did set, you see both of those? I've seen set it up. You have seen set it up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I was just it was intriguing to think about like the demise, the quote unquote demise of the rom com and where it's going. I mean, it was set it up is is. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> what it's what, like, what does okay, that noise mean like, okay, <laughs> i don't i don't know what that noise means <laughs> i was gonna say i i wanted to like it a little more than i did but i also respected some of its decisions especially later on in the film um to at least like change it up a little bit and also it was just kind of nice to like see a movie involving like kind of some potentially like up-and-coming young stars and like and 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 it is a little bit of an old older nod to the '90s kind of cheesy rom com, and it was I was just kind of like, oh hey, like I haven't seen one of you in a long time. Yeah, like I, I know it got a lot of like fire for just existing. It seems right because it got like there's a lot of like this is not only is this good, it's amazing. I'm like, well, it's good, it's fine. Like it's a it's a fun movie. I I because you have what does uh, Zoe Deutsch and and Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell, I think is. He has a lot of potential, I think, as far as right. I'm curious where he's going yeah. and what he's going to do. But then you, um, you then you also have um, Tay Diggs and Lucy Liu as kind of the the, the older character, comparably the older characters here. And I think Tay Diggs is actually a lot of fun, going somewhat against type as far as what he's trying to do here. Like he's he's basically a giant asshole. <laughs> it's like it's a lot of fun to see that, um, just the way yeah. he does certain things. Like, and I think yeah, I mean, I just I thought like I, the actors were good, the chemistry was good. You know, like I said, it was kind of boilerplate for a little bit, but then there are some surprises toward the end. Um, and I think maybe, if anything, Netflix is just proving what you can do with like decent talent in that genre. Yeah, because I, I don't, I guess you haven't seen to all the boys I loved, but that one I thought was better. And most of the people I've talked to just, I mean, love that cast, especially. It is after you watch it, you are kind of like, okay, that that probably is still aimed a little younger because it, it does actually I, I can't remember i think maybe it does earn a pg-13 but it, it's skating on like almost family level oh yeah like, that's, that's i mean it's like it's set in high school and given what i've seen of the like trailer what i was like this, this can't skirt anything <laughs> but it's like our... it's so nice yeah. and like obviously there are a lot of plaudits for representation etc with it that are deserved mm-hmm. but it is kind of just interesting to watch something that does it need to be corrupted, if you will? <laughs> I don't remember, like, the last teen thing I watched where it wasn't... It didn't just devolve into, like, debauchery, you know? Like, and, and this tells, like, an honest story. And I and I, I guess for people who do, like, the rom-com or just teen genres, like, this is kind of a, a very well-constructed, kind of different feel movie and i and i do think it works and it's kind of interesting just that these two and i know there's a few others yeah, like there's kiss, one that there's kissing what, booth or something kissing like booth, that the the sarah burgess one that has the actress that plays barb and stranger things that she's like the lead of that one mm-hmm. um there's um 
Abiza, right? Abiza with uh, Gillian Jacobs and Vanessa Bayer. Right, and, like and so they are kind of just beefing up Netflix in general, and and it and I I don't know. It'd be interesting to see it. It seems to be working for them because they're they're definitely not standing in the way of kind of riding this wave of appreciation that people are seeing for these. So so I guess you know set it up, take it or leave it. But I mean, especially. If you're into these kind of things, I, I do think to all the boys I loved is is probably a pretty good example of these genres working when they do work. Um, like Father was another one um, with Kristen Bell, Kelsey Grammer, and Seth Rogen. Like it's less of a romantic comedy because it's more about a father daughter thing, but there is a, mm-hmm. there's a romantic comedy element involved in it as well. Uh, but I hear what you're saying, and I I can agree as far as. If you want this genre, if you want to see things, examples from this genre, Netflix has become a, a haven for them. At the same time, I'm curious if kind of the success, even though Netflix famously doesn't release their ratings, if the success from these films from both a critical standpoint and just kind of audience chatter will lead to studios being like, you know what, maybe we could set aside $20 million to make like right. a well, decent rom-com again and actually put well, it in the theaters. Well, and Crazy Rich Asians. I uh-huh. mean, exactly. So, yeah. so it just seems, it'll be interesting to see what this means since like this genre is almost left for dead. <laughs> yeah. And now this fall kind of has these two weird examples from from each side and, and like what that means for it going forward. I, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, but it, if you're into the rom-com, this is this is your moment, and you haven't had one in a while. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I got another uh, thing to bring up. Have you have, a, have you heard about this? Have you seen this? Um, <laughs> this bit we have going. Have you heard that? Have you heard that one? <laughs> is this working for you? Is, yeah. this, is this going? Is this happening? Uh, you haven't seen this because it's not out yet. It's called "The Hate You Give." <laughs> Um, it arrives in theaters next week. I like I like that you keep asking me though, and then you're just like, ah, just kidding. <laughs> it's the hate you give. Um, I really like this movie, and I want to make sure to champion it now because it does come out in limited release next week. It opens wider, I believe, the 19th when it goes like super wide. Um, but it's based off a very popular young adult novel. And when I say that, it already feels like there's a stigma attached to it, and there shouldn't be, because I, I was thinking about this when I was writing my review, To Kill a Mockingbird's, like, a young adult novel. And, you know, that's that's a giant hit for a variety of reasons. This one, I'm not saying this is as good as To Kill a Mockingbird, but I am saying that the subject matter it approaches is very timely. Um, it is about Amandla Stenberg um, as a high schooler who has a friend. Um, they're driving home. They're both black. I, they get pulled over and the friend gets killed by a cop um and that's kind of, that's the basic setup for things um she is from a a black neighborhood she goes to school in a somewhat poverty stricken neighborhood as far as the quality of things and there's drugs and whatnot so because she goes to a prep school that's mostly made up of white kids um and the film plays of that but it also plays of obviously the drama of her witnessing her friend get shot uh, for no reason uh, by a cop and it's very good. It's very well acted all around. In addition to Amanda Stenberg, Amanda Stenberg, it's such a tough name. Um, you have you have uh, Regina Hall and Russell Hornsby as the parents. Uh, Russell Hornsby, he's from, uh, I saw him in Fences. I know he's on that show Grimm for the longest time, but I think he's absolutely terrific um, here. Uh, Common has a small role in this film. Anthony Mackie has a small role. It's just, it's an all around really good movie that I think addresses a particular topic with, a good amount of grace i think it handles something quite well without doing doing too much to kind of 
project too many feelings of a certain way, but also making sure to show the empowerment factor for what this girl goes through and how she has to deal with all this stuff and how it affects her in her neighborhood as well as her in her school life. Um, and yeah, it arrives next week in limited three. So I just really want to recommend that one because it's quite good. Uh, so yeah, that's the hate you give. All where right. You, where are you at, John? Um, I wanted to get your take on uh, my boy Taylor Sheridan. Um, I just saw Hell or High Water, another, you know, DVD streaming, you know, deep cut, deep cut. <laughs> I feel like I've kind of been like catching up on the Sheridan universe because um, I did like Sicario, uh, but I didn't really think of that as his movie back then. Um, but it's been interesting because I've since seen everything now. So I've seen Wind River. I've now seen Hell or High Water. And then uh, a little a little newer. You seen this? Have you heard this? Uh, that delves us into something that you and I talk about a lot that obviously gets us a little off of what this podcast normally is. But television, which is he's got Yellowstone, which was the most popular television show of this summer. <laughs> Uh, what my, my my dad watched Yellowstone. He watched all of it. I know that. Um, <laughs> but he, uh, he enjoyed it. But yeah, I don't know. I I liked Hell or High Water a lot, and now having seen, well, I guess I haven't seen Sicario too. But having seen still, the original, still Sicarioing. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but having seen those first three, I'm actually kind of amazed at how much they all feel like Taylor Sheridan, rather than all the directors that are been a part of them. Of course, he directs Wind River himself, but I, I feel like we're we're nearing the backlash on him. Are you beginning to feel that? Are you beginning to be uh, over the Taylor Sheridan moment? I will say this. I kind of disagree with you on the film's feeling like Taylor Sheridan, um, because I believe Sicario feels very much like a movie directed by Danny Villeneuve, and I feel Hell or High Water, it's, I mean, it has his... It's written by him, but and I, but I've seen other films like David McKenzie, and it feels like the strengths of that film come from the direction, and it happens to have quite a good script. Um, I would say, arguably, it's probably the best script as far as things he's been involved in. I did not like Wind River, um, and I think it's because Sheridan was left to his own devices, and his work behind the camera in that capacity is just not as strong as someone like Denny Villeneuve. Um, and Sicario, I can take or leave the, the, uh, the sequel, uh, Day of the Soldado. Um, that movie very much is not as helped by its script whatsoever. Uh, we talked about that in our episode covering it, but it has some elements right away where I'm like, I don't know what movie I'm watching, but I'm not liking it too much. And then it kind of picks up from there, thankfully. Um, I, yeah. didn't, I didn't watch Yellowstone because I don't like Kevin Costner. So I'm like, why am I going to spend... Ten, why am I going to spend 10 hours of my life watching Kevin Costner on some TV show? <laughs> yeah, um, I guess it, it would just be interesting because, I don't know, for some reason the things that impact me off those movies, mm -hmm. like I felt the through line more than I would have thought. I would have, having seen the three films and then Yellowstone, I was kind of like, oh, like, I mean, I understand that there are probably some flirt, I mean, especially with Danny Villanueva, but like, they, there was more, I guess... I feel like there's only a few screenwriters who you can feel through that kind of directing over the course. And so, I don't know. I, I just, for some reason, I'm I'm here for what Taylor Sheridan is doing. And Yellowstone is this weird example of that where you're like, you're you're getting what you want, but you're also, by the end of Yellowstone, are, are, are finally beginning, I think, if you're a Taylor Sheridan head, to be like, is, is this enough? <laughs> 
and and over the course of 10 hours you're kind of you i don't know I, i'm fascinated to see where that show goes because i don't really know if it's good but for some reason i'm just so in the tank for his shtick that that i'm, I'm into it so if you are into those movies yellowstone uh i think definitely delivers on that and then it's also kind of this weird interesting example because you had these examples of these somewhat affiliated either in theme or in geography movies and then yellowstone kind of takes that and it's like but what if it can't just be this kind of ambiguous closed case what if it has to keep going what does that mean and uh and i don't actually think we're gonna find out the answer to that until season two because they emptied a lot of the cartridge in season one well part 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 of my issue with wind river is that it's the one that doesn't really it makes a very defined it seems like it makes a pretty defined statement on what it wants to do uh, mm-hmm. and then it also tacks on a thing like hey native americans are cool so let's leave them alone like at the end just for the sake of it as far as his general style it seems like he's going for a crime tales that subvert expectations and they're very macho like that's kind of like a, in a nutshell that's kind of how i would define what i've seen in in kind of how he approaches material and it, well i feel like yellow for those wondering yellowstone is maybe that only add a nighttime soap to it okay yeah well, it's a tv show so i'd assume it'd have to do something like that yeah a little um, bit so so i'm still in on taylor sheridan but we're kind of reaching a tipping point i'm not out on him it's just more I see what he does in his thing, and so I just hope that the the filmmakers and actors he's paired up with to do his thing can help flesh that thing out more in a way I can enjoy it in the same way I enjoyed uh, Sicario and Hell or High Water, uh, as opposed to why I didn't really enjoy uh, Wind River. Well, and I, and I guess I find him so fascinating worth talking about because he's really... It's hard to get your moment like he is. Most people don't get greenlit this much in this short of a time Uh um and so it's kind of interesting to see somebody kind of have to evolve on the fly without probably having many like development failures etc like he's gotten to pretty much make something make something make something since the car he hasn't really had any breaks well, it's because they're not in major studios. They're all like, you know, they're all Lionsgate, CBS films and what have you. So it's like it's not it's not like Warner Brothers is tapping them and then, you know, just holding them back or whatever, which helps. True, true. Yeah. But, uh, uh, mm-hmm. So so the verdict is still in. I think if you like those movies, you'll like Yellowstone. But I do think by the time you get to the end of Yellowstone, you may for the first time start asking yourself a little bit. Where does this guy go next? What what more can you say now? Let's see. I want to I want to throw another one at you. Are you uh are you watching this? Um Hold the Dark. It is a new Netflix original. It is from director Jeremy Saulnier. I'm going to throw some titles at you. He directed a film called Blue Ruin, which I think is still streaming on Netflix. It's really good. And Green Room, which you might be more aware of because that got more play than Blue Ruin did. Did you see Green Room? I didn't see Green Room. I actually remember the idea of Blue Ruin more. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I remember seeing the trailer to Green Room a lot and being like, I saw this trailer a lot, but I barely ever heard of it outside of seeing this trailer. Well, it, it was well, it was well liked, uh, and I liked it quite a bit. But uh, no, I've been a big fan of uh, of uh, Jeremy Sonia seeing his movie. I haven't seen his first film yet, actually, which is just now started streaming on Netflix, uh, Murder Party which is supposed to be a comedy. Um, but this, <laughs> this film, uh, Hold the Dark, it stars Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, and Riley Keough. Keough? Keough? But uh, it, it involves Jeffrey Wright as a 
wolf tracker, a wolf expert who is kind of retired. He gets called in to Alaska to find a wolf that allegedly murdered a child. The parents of that child are Alexander Skarsgård and Riley Keough. And the film just kind of goes from there. I don't really want to get into where it goes because there's a lot of reveals and whatnot. Um, but the, it's very dark. It's a very dark movie. Um, it's very good. I really liked it. I, I, as I said, I liked what Sonia has been doing. It's this movie's this film is written by Macon Blair, who's starred in all of um, Jeremy Sonia's films. Um, he, he was the star of Blue Ruin. He has a smaller part in um, in Green Room. And then Macon Blair, for his own part, he made a film uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World anymore, which came out was it last year at this point? Yeah, it was last year. Um, but he wrote he wrote this film, Sonia directed, and uh, it's quite good. But it's on Netflix now. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I think it it would benefit from being seen in a theater because it uses Alaska very well. The look of this place is pretty fantastic, and Sonia's a really good visual director. But yeah, it's got some rough stuff in it too. There's a shootout scene that's pretty grisly as far as the amount of damage that it causes, um, and other things like that that take place. So yeah, Hold the Dark uh, on Netflix uh, currently. Yeah, you definitely have my attention with that. Mm-hmm. I think I don't know. I'm still waiting for Netflix to do a little bit better job of like notifying me of those kind of things. That's what this podcast is for, Jog, is every week I go over what's coming out on Netflix, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Netflix movies get lost more in the shuffle than oh, the sure. TV series. Oh, completely. So, uh, good on you, sir. Um, well, uh, I guess since I dipped my toe in it, um, I'm just going to go straight into the deep end on the TV pool and and say that uh, I was late on the bandwagon, but I watched Succession in oh. I think three days uh-huh. uh, HBO Succession, and that thing is dope. <laughs> first things first, how about that theme music? This is really good. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> that's a great theme music. And then they're like, you know what? We have cool theme music, so why don't we just use it as like <laughs> a, as like a dramatic tension thing in every episode over and over again, so it's in your head forever. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no succession um why don't you talk about what the show is i was gonna say succession i think on its surface i think a lot of us were like no because <laughs> it just looked like it was going to be a um i don't know Macbethian or like essentially a dad who's going to die needs to give the family business to uh his kids so this one could say this would almost look like a uh, empire. A, a, <laughs> I was about to say a, a journalistic take on empire or a media company take on empire, if you will. And uh, and I will say as a, I loved empire for the first two to three seasons um, that was done really well in that case. But this instead uh, ends up being just I don't know this really kitschy bizarre feeling like show that like completely is surprising in how it uh, goes about its business i think a lot of the directing and acting choices early on that seem weird like become this new kind of visual audible language that this this show has and then the things you thought were good you just you end up realizing that this this is actually coming up from it from a completely different place than like a entourage or ballers is for example like as far as like how it looks at its decadence so it is about three children kind of trying to find their way 
when given a potential opportunity when their when their father, who is maybe a Rupert Murdoch type, gets sick. Played by Brian Cox. Yeah, and and so I mean, the acting in this is top notch, and and there's just more goofiness than you would expect from this. And I guess if you knew a lot about it heading in, which I didn't, um, I believe the showrunner was a major part of Veep, uh, and that kind of that kind of language and in humor kind of pierces through what's otherwise. I mean, fairly dramatic still. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you have the Veep aspect. You also have Adam McKay, who, you know, beyond the Will Ferrell comedies, he also did the big short. And that sensibility certainly feels like it's coming through here as well, as far as kind of presenting something and then also commenting on it. But I mean, it's it's so so there is kind of everybody has or becomes quite three dimensional by the end. And then yet you still have. You know, the I, I've heard some people kind of joke, they're like, Rosencrantz and Gildenstern of this world is like Tom and Cousin Greg. <laughs> which which <laughs> are my doing, favorite characters by far. Right, I mean, they're just doing goofy stuff. That, like, especially, I think, Tom. Tom, is, I think, is a standout character of the season. Yeah, because he's cause so he weird hit. at the beginning, and you're like, what, mm-hmm. what's going on here? And then you just realize, oh, yes, this is just like the language of the show. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, he's so weird and so off the wall. Um I don't know. What did you, what did you think? Because, like I said, I had a lot of reservations going in, and instead, it really does do this weird thing where it's like a, it really does become kind of a prestige comedy. Yeah, I don't no, know. I agree. I mean, it, it works as a, it's like a black comedy essentially. Like right. it, it, and it, and I think it, I, I came in because it's like, all right, there's a show. There's people I know involved in it that I, you know, appreciate their work. So let's check this out. And it started out as a, yeah, this could just be another kind of like not necessarily entourage but as far as i don't know what i'm getting out of this it feels like empty calories but maybe i'll you know you know rich people being rich yeah and like the good the the inherent silliness that comes from that and making fun of it but it develops over the like i think the is it like the fifth episode where someone attempts to take over something and it doesn't go that way at all and i think that was like the that was, if not the best episode of the season, certainly the one that really turned me around as far as what I'm looking forward to with this show, because it became less about the, how crazy are these people, and more about the, oh, there's like a really cool plot here that I'm enjoying seeing where the turns are taking, because I don't quite know what's going to happen now. I I think it generates something, or like the mood I could almost say with this is like, you kind of like laugh, mm-hmm. and then you're kind of like silent. <laughs> like, it's like you're, it's like, it's like a weird. It's not like The Office, but it's like kind of like you're uncomfortably laughing. Oh, it. for sure. There's a lot of like cringe type <laughs> behavior that goes on here, um, but it, it's it's very good at what it's doing, and I look forward to what it's going to do in its in you know its its next season. But yeah, it certainly it did go from like a a throwaway you know Sunday night HBO show to a oh this is the prime reason I'm watching HBO right now. <laughs> so it's like okay, good good stuff here. I I like the succession. I want to see where it goes. Yeah, so I think that that I didn't want to give in, but I, I don't know if people are listening. Succession lives up to the hype. I I can definitely attest to that. Well, are you are you watching this show? I got another one for you. Speaking of TV, uh, all right, uh, American Vandal season two. I did. I digested it in uh, per much like the first season. Uh, I think I gave it like two to three days, and it was it's it's just very. Uh, <laughs> Very bite size for sure. I mean, they're all what around a little over thirty minutes each. There's only eight episodes or so. 
Um, I was a big fan of the first season of American Vandal. It caught me by surprise by how much I enjoyed it as far as making a kind of a mockumentary series that's similar to various shows that go over true crime and instead presents a high school drama about who vandalized cars. And this season takes that uh, to its next logical step, some would say. I I like this season quite a bit. I, I think it, it, I haven't really thought too much about which season's better. I don't think it really matters because I just think the creators of the show seem to have a good read on how to make this material work. I'd say the it does enough to differentiate itself from the first season. I like the kind of changes it makes. It also makes a weird attempt to justify why it exists, which I enjoyed. Mm. At first, I was wondering if there was going to be kind of a standout character in the same way that the first season has the guy that's the main guy that's accused. Um, right. I think he's such a it's a great performance from that guy because I've seen that type of character before. It's kind of like a dumb jock type. But mm-hmm. it takes a lot, I think, to make that work and be consistently funny. And and good on him. I think his name's Jimmy Tetro, the actor. He's in Smallfoot. I was like, Oh, good for him. He's like he's on a poster for a main movie. No, like that's 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 good on him. <laughs> good job, Agent. Um this one at first, as I said, this one I was at first concerned if I wasn't gonna have that same kind of like main character and i'd say there's a couple that have that potential i don't think i don't know if anyone rises to that challenge necessarily i'll be curious if you think so but there's one character who's like the lead of the basketball team like that Mm -hmm. i I think he might be the standout persona this time around but regardless i enjoyed the season what do you think i mean i think that was what was kind of interesting about this season is uh i actually think i will pick the second season as kind of I think the strong, the stronger one, or I'm sorry, the first season is the stronger one. Okay. Because the second season, I think, like you said, there's kind of several characters. I mean, yes, we have the almost LeBron Jamesian type high school athlete who who's like from the other side of the tracks, but going to the Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they did create a very much oh that guy where. Um, where the main target at the beginning or the main suspect uh-huh. is is the kid in school who who uses the words and sentences and and can't really sound natural doing it. Yeah, <laughs> no, and I agree with you because I that kind of deal. because I didn't uh, I didn't really I didn't latch on to him as far as being a new breakout character that I think the show wanted to have happen from that. So it's you know. mm-hmm. and and so I think actually it's a very effective season again. It's very entertaining. Um, but I guess it does lose some of the novelty of being, because essentially season one, I would say American Vandal and like uh, outside of Stranger Things, American Vandal is the most like, where did this come from? Awesome Netflix things where you didn't really hear about it. It just was. (laughs) Yeah. And it was so good. And I do think maybe what makes season one stronger is, is some of its themes, et cetera, are a little bit more show instead of tell. Yeah. Wow. While some people have lauded this new season for being kind of maybe more emotionally forthright or straightforward, and kind of especially at the end, there's a little bit more of a, here's what you learned and and here's what you should think, kind of at the end a little bit with where they take the characters this season. Yeah. Well, on the first one, I feel like it was much more subtle and it was much more, you had to kind of pick it out of the the format you are familiar with you actually had to pick out some of those really good and amazingly subtle teen teen like drama like items where you could where they were commenting but they weren't commenting directly while season two i felt like lost a little of its impact because i feel like they they kind of went straight for their message rather yeah, than having to be kind of 
a subtle part of the parody. Yeah, and this is I, this is probably the most thought that I've given the show since like watching it honestly so i'm like i'm tr- I'm piecing this together as you're speaking which does make me think yeah season one's probably the superior season i i can agree that the how it's hitting on themes is very much it's addressed head-on in this season and in, in a way that's not you know it, it's not as interesting but like it, it's hard to kind of replicate obviously it's hard to kind of replicate what season right. one did because it's you know it's lightning in a bottle it's first time out of the hat like how do you how do you do that again without completely repeating yourself? And so I can admire that it does try to vary things up both in terms of how it presents a lot of the information to you. Cause it's still, you know, it's still spoofing these types of shows, but it goes in more of a Ken Burns route this time around as yeah. opposed to like the, the, uh, what making, I never remember the names of these shows, um, <laughs> making a murderer. Um, it, right. It, Serial. It, yeah. It takes some, it takes some other crime documentary formats in mind as opposed to others that it already did so it's like i can appreciate those elements of it i guess because like the kids involved in this the guy the high school kids that are or i guess they're college kids now whatever they're that are making this documentary they're they basically they the first season they go to the school that the crime happened at where now they're just like they've sought out to, or they've been like requested to to go into this thing and something i liked about the first one is how they do incorporate their own like lives into that show like it does make a difference where this one it's negligible because it's just like they're just involved because they happen to be as opposed to they need to be i'll be curious if it keeps going here and how they want to continue to try to ramp up the ideas but no it's still enjoyable for sure i, I could say yes that you know hearing what you're saying and just kind of thinking about it for a second you know me wrong i think they proved if anybody wrong who didn't think they could mine more out of this parody format for this time it will be interesting to see if, if third time is is quite as easy because i is but uh they've at least gained the trust of which i'll i'll watch the beginning of a third season for sure at least just to, to see what happens but uh we should say this too it's very funny <laughs> i'm not emphasizing that enough it's a very funny show <laughs> it does its job but I would say this one's much, but this one is more, I think, emotional than the other one. Yeah, and, and I think that, that comes from, I think, certain reveals that happen because it gets into some territory that's not comedic, honestly. Like, it's just, it's yeah. it's sad. Like, that's what it comes down to. All right, well, um, Aaron, it got less attention over the summer, but still quite a bit. Uh, did you see this? Did you, uh, did you watch Sharp Objects? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, are you, and so I guess when it comes to sharp objects, to me at least, it's whether you're in on Jean-Marc Valli or not. And that's kind of where the start and finish of it. And for me, he's one of my favorite directors in the entire business. And you pair him with kind of one of these, one of these, these type of stories where they're a little off kilter, a little bit more pulpy and poppy. And I think it's kind of a good combination. And and one of the reasons I didn't care whether I was really watching Succession is because I was all in on Sharp Objects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thought that, I don't know, I, I still like that kind of director. Like, I, I guess Jean-Marc Valli, to me, is very much a Terrence Malick type. But I like that he gives his... Direct. He's been giving his directing to, to more interesting subjects. <laughs> what I what I appreciate about John Mark Valley, who also directed Big Little Lies from the previous year, and he directed the films Wild with Reese Witherspoon and um, Dallas Buyers Club with Matthew McConaughey and Jared Leto. I like him in this TV setting because he does get a chance to show off what it is to be kind of an auteur in this realm, which you don't get to see too often because TV 
not that I mean, there's plenty of great examples I can name that are even on your list right now as far as seeing just true true cinema come through the you know the small screen um but like he is a guy that you know he's directing every single one of these episodes his stamps all over this thing and it shows and it shows in the same way that like the first season of true detective it showed with carrie fukunaga um where you're just seeing just great craft going into a you know a multi-hour story as opposed to a simple two-hour experience or you know just a, a shorter two-hour experience i would say big little lies i think i was more compelled by the story that was being told but I can certainly appreciate Sharp Objects for the way it was telling its story. It's incredibly directed and edited. There's so many great choices as far as how we're being presented. This deep character study uh, as Amy Adams goes back to her hometown to, you know, investigate this kind of mystery that's going on. And uh, no, from a production standpoint, it's pretty terrific. The acting, you know, it's all on point as well. You have her, you have uh, what, Patricia, Patricia Clarkson, Clarkson. Um, what's his name, uh, Chris, Chris Messina, Chris and then uh, I don't know if she's a newcomer, but she's Eliza young. Stanlin as Ama is really good too. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's it's well acted all around, and I don't want to get into the ending because obviously, but I mean, there's a turn things take at the very last minute where you're like, wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, well, and that's the thing is the pedigree. I mean, Marty Noxon is technically the creator here, and she's kind of having a moment. Well, it's based um, off the novel by... And yes, and then Gillian Flynn had a, Gillian a Flynn, big part yeah. in this, too. Mm-hmm. And so we've now kind of... I, I think we're going to be seeing more of her because we, I mean, this and Gone Girl uh, kind of show that her stuff can really... She attracts really talented people. And uh, Widow, Widows, is, Widows is coming out in November the uh, from uh, Steve McQueen in her script. So. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I as, as a writer, I want to very much be like right 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 but like there are people and and Jean-Marc Valli is one of them where I'm kind of like okay I understand that like that this is why people argue it's a director's medium <laughs> uh when it comes to screen at least and so I know that's kind of obvious um but but yeah I guess HBO to me really had a good summer for themselves <laughs> no there was no there was no Game of Thrones, but the two two things I got to see this summer uh, were more than enough to keep me happy uh, with that HBO subscription. <laughs> let's do one more TV each, and then let's go back to movies. Okay. Okay. The next one I'm going to go to is um, uh, BoJack Horseman, the latest season. I've been a fan of BoJack Horseman. I would say <laughs> I, I feel like... I'm not the biggest fan as far as where a lot of other people are, as far as how they appreciate the series, because I think the the Hollywood in-joke stuff to me tends to be the weakest element, uh, where I like I like the dramatic stuff a lot. I like the just silly, crazy comedy stuff a lot. And then I think the Hollywood stuff, I think, comes like the least, mainly because I just I get it too easily. Like It doesn't feel that clever to me just because I'm too aware of what they're trying to do. That said... I really like the rest of that. I mean, I like, I can appreciate that stuff, but I really like the zany comedy and I really like the drama stuff. And this season, I, I can't tell if it's the best season so far, but I do think it might be the tightest structurally. I think, Mm. I think the way it's telling the story it wants to tell, it doesn't waste time with like, let's have a few silly episodes first and then really get into the meat of this plot. I think it gets off and running right away. Yeah. I think they, Uh you might be able to argue that they put, the B plots get 
less time than they did in the other ones, maybe. Yeah. And I think there's and even the B, the A even plot the, takes like a lot of space on every episode. And even the B plots that are presented are fairly serious. I mean, there's one involving his agent's adoption, <laughs> like keeps mm-hmm, coming up, mm-hmm. or um, what Allison Bree's character Diane, like the things that she's going through. Like there, there's a lot of stuff there that like works. Is we're talking about an animated show about a cartoon horse. <laughs> like, so it's, it's and just... I mean, honestly, for me, uh, I actually think i might like i think the best part of this show to me might be paul of tompkins doing peanut, oh yeah mr peanut, peanut butter because uh-huh. <laughs> it's such a, a an interesting character we don't get much uh in a lot of other shows but no i agree that i think this one this season of bojack will stand out to me a little bit more than the last yeah, the two. last the last one Cause I, a little because he was bojack was kind of gone for some of it and it kind of I think it threw the balance off of what they wanted to do. I get character-wise what the arc was going to be and what they wanted to do, but I feel like I was lacking in the satisfaction of that of a kind of a full arc compared to this season. Yeah, and 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 I don't know. You could almost say that the last season and this season are kind of like one overall arc for him. Yeah, uh, and it's interesting this season too. I think battles very smartly with Bojack being a quote-unquote anti-hero. Yeah. And it finally kind of grapples with what that means today and in this moment. And I, I would agree with a lot of people that it, it does a pretty good job with it. It is pretty smart in kind of what it's trying to say about Bojack in general as a person or as a horse person. Yeah. <laughs> a man of a horse or a horse of a man. But it's also um, a show that has like the greatest wordplay ever, where people like rhyme five things together for no reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is stuff I can very much appreciate for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, I, and I, you know, I it's been a few weeks since I watched it, so now I'm just recalling this is a very emotional season, particularly for me for BoJack Horseman. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. it's doing some things here that are very relevant to what I'm going through. Um, in addition to being yes, timely, like you're mentioning, and again. Very funny. It's funny how we're talking about some of these shows and addressing the dramatic aspects of them, but they're also, they are comedies. Like, they're full on, there's, to make no mistake, these are ridiculous shows about cartoon horses and people investigating random crimes in American Vandal that are inherently humorous. Um, I just don't want to I mean, they're about poop, just say. Yeah, yeah, a lot of poop jokes. So it's (laughs) like... But yes, it's plenty, plenty of fun to be had with these things. Despite I want to like recommend it based off the strength of its writing for dramatic justice. Um, but yeah, all right. What's what's next for you? What are you watching? All right. Um, I guess we'll. How about we we close TV hour with um how we opened movie hour, which would be uh, this summer. I got a chance to watch two Marvel properties, but they're TV shows, and they're not on normal ways we watch these things and that would be i i saw the runaways and i saw cloak and dagger i've seen um, cloak and dagger i haven't seen the runaways and so the runaways is on hulu and uh that follows uh a group of kids who maybe find out that their parents are like a cult and murder somebody every year <laughs> are you saying that they ran away after this and then, uh, but actually, the TV show isn't quite ready to have them run away. So, okay. um, this is this is done by the same team that gave you the OC and Gossip Girl, and um, Schwartz. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, 
I mean, that was all I needed. You you say comic book and you say the OC and you say put them together. And I was like, sign me up. Uh, and this actually, I think because of that, they don't run away right away because, the, you know, Schwartz and gang is so good at writing parents. <laughs> um, and there is a good student to parent dynamic. And there is some intrigue. Uh, everybody kind of gets different powers or maybe they're just really good at technology, or maybe they have a clone of a velociraptor. (laughs) (laughs) And so there's just a lot of like weird little extra intricacies that uh, I would say make Runaways a pretty solid debut season of television. I think it kind of fell through the cracks because Hulu doesn't quite have the machine behind it uh, versus some of the other stuff. And they're busy promoting Handmaid's Tale all summer also. Right. And, um, And so... If you got kind of superhero fatigue and you're looking for maybe a different way in, I, I, I do recommend Runaways as kind of, it's it's what we kind of talked about with what is Marvel or what is X-Men Universe going to do? What is DC? Are they going to let different people tell different stories from different angles? And Runaways kind of, you know, a different way to do a Marvel because it's kind of like a teen soap mixed with comics. And uh, to that end... Something I think you actually have seen is Cloak and Dagger, which mm-hmm. is on Freeform. Um, and that's another case where this, though, on the other hand, would probably, because even being on Freeform, you think, you know, teen, teen soap. But really, I would say this is almost like only like 33% teen soap, 33% comic, and then 33% like prestige TV. Yeah, like good character Like it's drama. a very weird mood and vibe where you're kind of like, this feels a little prestige <laughs> I agree. I, I was a fan of this show. I liked the first season quite a bit. I'd say I liked it more than some of the net, the most of probably most, most of the Netflix uh, Marvel shows. Um, and certainly more than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, um, I, I think the two leads are really good. Um, they both work well together of the scenes they actually have together, which is surprisingly not as many as you'd expect for a show called Cloak and Dagger. That's about, you know, two people with powers that eventually team up. Um, and the outside drama that they deal with separately, I also enjoy quite a bit. The character, the actor that plays the, the cloak of the scenario, he has, to me, more inherently interesting storyline to work with involving, like, uh, police shootings and corrupt cops. Um, the Dagger story feels a little more... I've seen this kind of before as far as a kind of white girl of a bad family, like dealing with stuff. Um, but I like the direction this took. I, I know you have some qualms about the ending. I, about the ending of the season, I can respect that it kind of goes for a big superhero plot, like a big comic book movie plot um, right. to kind of resolve itself. Cause honestly, I just felt it earned it. I felt the characters, there's so much work done to get us to where they are that I didn't mind the kind of let's all get let's get to a lot of big action scene type stuff because I, I was happy how it got there right and I and, and I think this is another show that I don't know tried to be episode to episode a little bit more than maybe shows do uh-huh. sometimes I thought that worked well for it sometimes I was like why why are we doing these interstitials to make this like a TV episode and, and how much do we need of that mm-hmm uh, and part of maybe the reason that that stuck out more is because I did binge it. And maybe if I was watching it week to week, I'd be more fine with it. But I don't know. It's, it's set in New Orleans and it really embraces that setting. And that's kind of cool and interesting as well. 
um G- just because given that I, I watched i'm a big preacher fan which is also mainly set in new orleans i'm like wow <laughs> bayou country's gotten a lot of play this summer <laughs> but uh yeah i would say i mean okay this this show started with like an accident and people in the and then like people reaching out to one another and uh ellie golding's dead in the water playing emotionally behind <laughs> it and I was like immediately texted my brother who had recommended it to me and was like, well, that's all I needed. <laughs> um, I so, hear you yeah. there because I, I can see because it is a show that's like on freeform, which might be slowly gathering some solid TV under the radar. But I do, you know, it does kind of come with this soapy element to it, it seems like that seems like it's part of the but deal then, to be on that. Yeah, channel. but it kind of like immediately begins to shed that as it exactly, goes. Yeah. And it really takes I don't know how. Because it's still, we're still dealing with two high schoolers. <laughs> but, like, it really does somehow find a tone kind of one level up from, like, what you're used to when it's high schoolers as the main people in the show. Because well, so, it's, like, it's mainly, it's not set in the high school, really. Like, it, the, right. most, the most high school we see is, like, because one kid's on the basketball team. Like, that's pretty much it when it comes to that kind of plot. The other one doesn't even go to school, right? <laughs> like, So, yeah, I guess it it was a curious summer if only because I do not like any of the Netflix shows outside of season one of Jessica Jones, which I loved. Um, and so, and, and I've never thought, you know, the ABC ones have been non-starters. So it's kind of interesting to see these kind of more, almost a little bit like guardians of the galaxy, giving the Marvel movies a little bit of uh, injection uh-huh. of life. It seems like maybe some of these weirder, off-kilter Marvel comics that are getting some love on these more left-of-center cable networks maybe could do be doing the same to Marvel a little bit on the TV frontier. Yeah, I hear you. Um, all right, let's get back to some huh? movies. Um, so I want to go over this now because I brought this up. I teased this earlier, um, so now I'll go into it. Anna and I watched The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 this weekend. I have always been of the case that I think these are quality movies. I don't think either of them are approaching the greatness of Spider-Man 2 necessarily, but I do think that they're... I've said this a lot, that I've yet to see a bad Spider-Man movie, and I hold by that. And I would argue even more that, especially for the case of Amazing Spider-Man 2, that I think removed from when that movie was coming out and when the ads were everywhere and everyone was talking about the various spinoffs and whatnot and not really talking about the movie... I think removed from all that chatter, I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 is very good. <laughs> to like approaching the kind of the really goodness that the Raimi the, that the best of the Raimi's films had to offer. Again, not to the level of Spider-Man 2 and not con- con- uh, consistently on it. Like I think the movie has some spotty patches, but I really like the casting all around of both of these movies. I like how they handled some story elements in them. I like how it tried to differentiate itself from the Ramy mcguire films i i think there's a lot there that i don't think quite got the proper respect that it deserved before we tilted full into marvel universe and had tom holland who's also you know fine do you have any thoughts on the amazing spider-man films <sighs> it's been a while <laughs> without revisiting um i can just i do recall just being like into the spider-man pastiche enough that uh-huh. like i didn't i wasn't bothered and even enjoyed though the andrew garfield spider-man fine i can't even remember if i saw both 
<laughs> yeah, I, 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 all I vaguely remember. I mean, I remember liking Garfield and Emma Stone, and then all maybe the only other thing I remember is like um, Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yep, as the Rhino, <laughs> <laughs> and that's an interesting reimagining of the Rhino. Uh, and that's about it. But I remember being like, okay, because I think they took like maybe a little bit even more emo tact with it, if I recall. There's, well, there's, there's a little some, bit more sulky. There's angst in it, but because I've rewatched all the Rainy films as well, it's like it's not doing much differently as far as both the comedic side of it and the dramatic side of it that feels vastly yeah. different. Like I feel like that got played up more by people writing about it and by how the ads seem to want to sell it more than what the actual movies delivered. Mm-hmm. I'll go one step further but... too because I do want to point this out. Hans Zimmer's score in Amazing Spider-Man Two, which consisted of him, Junkie XL, Pharrell Williams, and like a bunch of others, like he really wanted to get wild with it. I think's really pretty terrific. I think there's a <laughs> there's a hero theme in that movie that I think is pretty fantastic that we'll never hear again, which is unfortunate. <laughs> And there's some <laughs> weird stuff involving like Jamie Foxx's electro character and what they do with that bit. That oh, I, think is... I remember that uh, character now. I'd love yeah. to hear. I'd love to hear from more people on this. <laughs> like, if listeners have any thoughts on this, because I really, it. So Anna hadn't seen either of these films. It's just part of why. Part of why I watched it was because I've, I've been playing the Spider-Man game on PlayStation Four, and it's amazing. And I'm like, I want to watch some Spider-Man movies. And the other reason is that Anna hadn't seen the Amazing Spider-Man movies, so we watched them. She was into them. She dug them quite a bit, and she likes the Tobey Maguire movies. But she dug one and she liked two more, honestly, and I like two more as well. And I just feel like 2 gets such this weird bad rap where I think most of the talk about 2 stems on what people were saying was coming next in that franchise, again, as opposed to what the actual movie was doing. Yeah, I guess I don't really differentiate 1 or 2. I just kind of left them as like which one is, mega, which is fair, mega movie in my memory. At this point, <laughs> given that we're in a whole new era of Spider-Man again, yeah, I can understand that. If you haven't watched this movie in a while, it's just like, yeah, those are those Garfield things. Like, you don't really think specifically about right. them. Right. <laughs> I, I understand that completely. Well, and, and also, I mean, I love Cures. I love Dunst so much in the originals. And that's kind of like... She was playing uh, Mary Jane, and then we had Gwen Stacy in these movies, so it, you know it's, right. it's different to <laughs> some degree. Um, yeah, I get you. I get you. Yeah, okay. I hear you. well, I'm, I'm here to I'm here to champion the Amazing Spider-Man films, even though they're not going to continue <laughs> because that series is over now. But I did like what they're going for, especially that sec. I, I think of that second one. I think it kind of pulled off more than it get it does, it gets credit for. And I also need to start, oh. I, apparently I have to launch the campaign as well that uh, Anna, my lovely girlfriend, is, uh, she wants to be Squirrel Girl. And so I'm saying right now, yes, let's let's do that. Let's. I don't know how to make that happen, but I'm throwing that on the ether. Cast my girlfriend as Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl, the motion picture. Squirrel Girl, the colon in the movie, of course. Just, you know, Anna Bosch is Squirrel Girl. Seeing that in a poster. Just putting that out there. So, that, okay. There you go. Yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. Say it. Yeah. All right. There you go. So, I mean, so, you know, what do you got? What's right. next? Um, I was intrigued. Uh, how much have you guys talked about the movie pass? <laughs> um, I hit my first movie pass road bump. So I've week, since. I feel like I'm probably in the minority. I've since um, canceled my movie pass subscription. So, okay. uh, right. so I, 
I want to hear what you have to say about this because I do have opinions. I don't know how far deep I need to go into Movie Pass. No, I, I just feel like the company has taken a lot of uh, a lot of chances of customer faith, and it broke mine, and so I gave it up. <laughs> See, I got lucky, and uh, I waited on Movie Pass quite a bit, and then I pounced at like this tr- holy trinity moment, and I got it for six ninety five a month if I bought my year in advance. Uh huh. And so uh, doing that meant I think I had to watch 4.5 movies to get my money back <laughs> um, for an entire year. And uh, I've easily done that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, the other key element of me getting movie pass, and I would have jumped ship if I was anywhere. If I lived anywhere else, I probably would have jumped ship. But because I live in West Los Angeles and because movie pass struck a deal with landmark theaters... I ended up being the big winner because the main landmark theater in Los Angeles is the closest movie theater to me. And it's also uh, has no blackouts Hmm. and it has e-seating so I can reserve my ticket in advance uh, and not have to worry about where I'm going to sit or anything. And because of that, and because it was $6.95 a month and I locked it in for a year, um, I'm actually still on the movie pass train. But I like the intense uh, detail he had about the landmark. Let's talk more about that. So it's on Pico, right? So like yep. presuming that we get let's get out just more geography in here. Uh, let's assuming you're going from like the freeway, you can get off at what like Washington maybe. Yeah, go down uh, what to Sepulveda, take that up a are you, bit. Are you, are you trying for a Californian's moment? Not right <laughs> necessarily. I'm not doing the accent. <laughs> Is that the riff? <laughs> Um, go on what are you talking about but, but anyway um it's been really nice because the landmark obviously has a lot of prestige movies i was tempted to like for example go see the sisters brothers this week even though i didn't end up doing that it's great you should have uh, <laughs> just because it, it is right there and it looks amusing um it's very good but uh the only problem is, is it doesn't always get the blockbusters it gets the big ones like it hadn't you know it had infinity war but it didn't get Predator, which meant I had to be a normal... <laughs> the blockbuster known as the Predator. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is we claim that the Predator meant nothing, and yet the Predator has never been unblacklisted on my movie pass. It has been a, you're not allowed to watch, this is a premium screening uh, for three weeks now, and uh, most theaters have dropped it at this point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Predator um, is the gaudy yeah. of movie pass when it comes to this thing. It's just a movie it holds in high esteem, I guess. I guess so. Um, you might not have valued the Predator movie audience, but Movie Pass did. <laughs> <laughs> so much so that they kept them away from it. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So sadly, uh, I won't see the Predator until it comes out on streaming. Now, I guess, uh, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing, but. For the fodder of talking about movies in general, I'm going to miss out, and then I'll be like the guy who watched Annihilation this week, telling Aaron about Annihilation, and then Aaron will be like, that was cool, I talked about (laughs) Annihilation in February. Only so, this time when I see come on and say I saw Predator, I'd be like, that's cool. I saw that back in the summer. That's that movie that's only notable for the horrible news story that came out around the Predator. I get it. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then and then people trying to twist themselves in knots to be like, but Shane Black is a cool writer. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I lost on that. And so instead I was uh, down in Santa Monica and I was forced into the arms of uh, Spring Breakers 2, I mean, Assassination Nation. Uh, um, 
And uh, I will say that, like, Assassination Nation is interesting. <laughs> and, like, especially for its maybe two-thirds of its runtime, it's doing a lot of... In- I mean, it does do interesting directory stuff, showy directory stuff. Mm-hmm. I will say that. I feel like I'm gonna be less. I'd be less impressed by that than I am with your ability to turn this movie pass story into a segue to the next topic. So I'm happy about that part. So keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Assassination Nation, not as good as Spring Breakers. But uh, this is obviously, I think, was trying to get that audience and trying to sell itself that way. Um, and girls in like red jumpsuits with katanas and machine guns is really only a small bit of the movie. And otherwise, it's kind of a fairly effective port damning portrait of like the extreme stress that like kind of our digital world is putting on us and kind of the extreme conclusion of that. Uh, and so. I think it is effective for about two thirds of its runtime with kind of examining these things in kind of an eerie, weird fog of some sort of half spring breakers, half what, like, am I thin? Is the guy who did drive Nicholas Ruffin or whatever his yeah, name Nicholas was? Yeah, Nicholas Winning Ruffin, yeah. Yeah, so it kind of like blurs in that world. And then it does kind of give in to, you know, navel gazing girl violence type of thing but um i don't know so i don't know if i really recommend it but it was definitely solid and it was definitely impressive in some ways even if it is kind of reductive and especially in today's culture the kind of thing that elicits uh are we commenting on this or are we actually falling into the traps of like you know (laughs) of this if you will you know of the over sexed honest teen girl thing or not and obviously spring breakers kind of dealt with that as well um so i would i don't know it's weird because it like seems like not many people are talking about it but it also seemed like it very much targeted like new media with its advertising see we like i don't think i ever saw anything on tv about it or anything but like Instagram is where like, I learned about it. <laughs> you know, we addressed this on the show last week, actually, as far as the bidding war that came over this movie and the thought that, like, no one's going to see this. Like, I can tell that right away that no one's going to see this movie. Like, it doesn't have... There's no element here, and the studio's too small to have, like, a massive ad campaign or something that it can really sell itself on beyond its, you know, what, what, it, what the extreme content is trying to go for is. But it's like, what audience wants to go out to a theater to see that? Like, what audience... Well, it, it, isn't it another, like, almost... I assume it must have some deal with maybe AMC or something. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Mike, like, Mike sorry to bother you. No, as, as, as far as like the people that are making money off this, I'm sure they're fine, and that's great for them. <laughs> but, but I mean, as far as actually leading an audience to a theater to see something like this, I don't see where what the thought is of like that being a big thing or something that's notable in size beyond hoping for a hoping for good business to happen just because. Right. So, I mean, it's just kind of something interesting to think about, but it it hasn't lingered in my head until I was forced to, like, think about it again. And so I don't think it's going to stand the the shadow prestige test of time that maybe it wanted to try for. For sure. Um, And that's too bad, but uh, it did provide an outlet for two hours before my 
Iowa Hawkeyes played a football game last Saturday. So uh, it works in that that case. I actually, it probably is like a six or a seven out of ten. Maybe it's a seven out of ten even. So I'm not trying to downplay and say it's like a bad movie in any way. I hear you. Um, it's just weird. It's just weird that we have these. I guess it's weird to me when art housey movies come out, but then they aren't at the landmark or at the places you'd expect. And instead, they're like kind of like trapped in a small theater at the AM, AMC. <laughs> and well, like why that is. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's do two more movies, then we'll start wrapping things up here. All right. Uh, so don't go too long. Um, I only have one, two more as in one each from each of us. Um, I only have one more to go over. Um, and speaking of not lingering in the mind too much, I was expecting more from rewatching this movie um, that came out this week. Um, my dad had not seen this, so I was like, "All right, let's watch Solo: A Star Wars Story" this week. Um, so I saw I saw it back in theaters. We talked about it in our episode. You can find that episode on iTunes and everywhere else. Our podcast is out now. There, Nate. Um, I I liked it then. I still like it well enough now, but I was honestly hoping to like it more. Like I was hoping that separated from the release date, separated from, like, all the, like, what, what's going to happen with Solo and its box office and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. I was thinking, maybe I could just sit down and watch a Star Wars movie and be like, that's just a fun movie. Like, I enjoyed this experience and I like this cast. Donald Glover's good and all this stuff. And honestly, I I don't know if I liked it less, but I feel like it just didn't give me a vibe of this is one of those movies that I'm going to be happy rewatching whenever I revisit it again in the same way that other Star Wars movies do. Well, it's like, it's kind of like the sum is less than its parts. Yeah, no, it is. Cause I think there are highlights <laughs> in the film. Um, but I do think on the whole, it's one of the only star Wars movies. I just think feels long, which I think is, that's an impressive feat to accomplish because at the end of the day, these are just like, you know, they're space operas, they're popcorn movies. They're supposed to be kind of fun and disposable to some extent. Although you, you think the fanboys are like acting as if they hold commandments in their hands when they talk about star Wars movies. But regardless, I do think there's a competent movie here. I just don't think it's all that interesting, which is, you know, one of the reasons why it got pretty much written off when it came out in the summer, but it's a shame because I do think there's a lot of talent involved. I think there's some good scenes here. I think there's a lot of ideas for how you could have made what I, would consider an unnecessary Star Wars movie into a fine, you know, smugglers run type film. It just doesn't really ascend those heights to anything that's super amazing. I think it's fine, but just nothing special. And less and less so than that, it's not all that rewatchable coming having come to watch it again. So I still, you know, I still ride for Phoebe Waller on as L337. Um, it's one of the highlights uh, that, that whole droid revolution thing that happens i think is a, a fantastic part of that film right which is i guess a, a, another example of like i'm like oh, i kind of like that part or kind of like this part uh-huh. but yeah as far as a movie it was a shoulder shrug and i guess that's probably in star wars verse that's that's a a sound the alarms type reaction it, that, that it, Lucasfilm is very worried about. <laughs> it is. I mean, they they've announced this week that they're they're like what's his, what the the CEOs of like Disney or whatever. He like said like we're gonna start slowing down the Disney the Star Wars production. Like we're not gonna they're not gonna do the year to year Star Wars movie release, which is you know I think a smart move because yes, it does feel like we're getting a lot of Star Wars. And not that I I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I like getting lots of Star Wars, but if the quality of the movie is going to be more around Solo level as opposed to last jedi um (laughs) i i i won't be a fan of having something like star wars become less special because there's so much of it um which would be unfortunate so 
in that regard, you know, well, I, I look forward to them rethinking the process on these movies. It'll be very interesting to see what happens because we went from universe high in the second of the new Star Wars re- yeah, trilogy. And then we kind of immediately turned into this kind of okay or meh <laughs> mm-hmm. movie. And, uh, and it, it's interesting because I think there were just some little things in, um, oh my gosh, what I, I'm blanking on the other standalone that came out. Rogue One. Rogue One, yeah. I don't know if Rogue One's really any better or worse than Solo when all is said and done. I like I I like watching Rogue One. That's where I stand on it. I'm happy to pop that in and be like, yeah, let's watch that right now. Like I don't have any reservations about. I'm not saying that everyone does this, but I'm saying right. I think there were some notes on that where it just hit a little bit better, but only a little bit. And I think it kind of hinted toward the the crash landing that ended up being Solo. Um, But there were a few things that really patched up Rogue Rogue One and kind of made people distracted people from from maybe some telltale signs that this was going to happen it, it's or, funny because i i agree with you as far as its success is concerned at the same time it's this because the end is what was largely changed in rogue one like that's well known like we don't know exactly the, all the details but that's what was reworked the mm-hmm. end is it's satisfying to me but it's not as interesting to me as stuff that came up to the end like I like the mm-hmm. the stuff that's less Star Warsy that's going on before the end of Rogue One, where it just becomes an all out Star Wars movie. Like we're right. talking about with like Bumblebee, which we don't you know know completely yet, but it seems like I'm more interested in the how are we going to do this kind of stuff with Bumblebee as opposed to the here's another giant battle of Transformers movie part. Like I'm less interested right. in that compared to what's coming, and that's why I felt about Rogue One. I like the stuff where it's like, yeah, okay, it's this weird like planet hopping heist movie thing, and there's all these characters and it's different. I like that stuff. I don't dislike, you know, starfighters having a giant battle in space. Like, that's cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like that. But it's just, I've seen that before. And so I like seeing a spinoff do something different. And yeah, I see what you're mm-hmm. saying. And it was solo. Yeah, it is. It feels more like, all right, we're continuing to try to do this different thing. But we don't really like what we're seeing. So let's hire Ron Howard on here and course correct the ship. And it just feels, it feels generic, honestly. Um, that's kind of where it comes down to. It just feels like every other white guy in space adventure. Which is like, all right, that's something, but we just saw something pretty new in Last Jedi as far as how we're presenting things, which everyone accepted with no problem, obviously. Um, <laughs> so it's a bit of a shame that we went back to the well. I know it's pretty smooth sailing. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, I can't it's, believe it. Yeah, we still talk about how it's just an amazing movie and there's no problem whatsoever. That's really what the what the <laughs> conversation's been. Congrats to uh, Kathleen Kennedy, by the way, for her renewal of her three-year contract at Lucasfilm. Um, it's it's amazing how all those internet rumors, um, some some guy on YouTube saying that she's probably going to get fired, really paid off there. Good good job that guy, um, and where those people or that giant group of hate mongers, whatever you want to call it. What other movies, huh? John? What's what's the last movie you got here? I don't know. You know, I feel bad because I wanted to like come at it from some new angle where people hadn't really heard anything here. Um, and I was like looking through what I saw, <laughs> and I was just like. I don't know. This summer hasn't really hasn't really worked for me very well. I've been kind of disappointed in what I've seen. Um, That's I'm sorry to hear that because I think it's been a pretty damn good summer. Like, and I guess like I've, I haven't minded the stuff I've watched, but I, I feel like the things I came in the most excited about were like I saw them on DVD or streaming, and like I can't quite and like all the small movies that I wanted to get hyped for 
uh, Assassination Nation, Eighth Grade, Sorry to Bother You. I like liked them and respected them in different ways, but they didn't. There wasn't that tiny movie this year that like this summer that at least I saw in the moment this summer that kind of like pumps me up and like was like that little movie that could like you didn't um, you didn't see Blind Spotting. Uh, I did not end up being able to see Blind Spotting. Oh, I feel like so I feel like that would have been your jam. I feel like that would have been like that's still my first or second favorite movie of the year. Is it? I, but I All right, like... and I'll have to circle back to that. So I guess. My movie of the summer ended up being, I mean, I think probably Mission Impossible is the best movie of the summer that I saw. <laughs> I, I mean, I would, as far as that scale goes, I would say, yes, it is my movie of the summer for the, in that regard. Like, I, Black Klansman's like my favorite movie of the year, like that and Blindspotting. But it's like, those aren't, I don't say those as summer movies, they're just like movies that came out in the year. Mission Impossible, that's a summer movie through and through, and it delivered. And it delivered in a way where it's like, I know this is going to deliver. And it did. Like, that's kind of... And it is. And this is probably the year it, like, flipped over to, like, oh, my, like, it's... And maybe it had already done that the one prior, but it's mm-hmm. it's just the most dependable of movies. And it gives me exactly what I want, much like the Fast and Furious franchise. Sure, yeah. And, and so, but I, I also, I don't know. There's little bits and pieces of Mission Impossible, but I guess... I don't want to go too far because we've gone over those kind of movies. I don't know how much you guys talked. Sorry to bother you. Um, we never gave it a full episode, but yeah, I, I thought I thought it was really good, and but it didn't. It wasn't iconic. I guess did, it did, no, just, sorry, for I'm some sorry, reason we, there wasn't. We did give it gotten, full, we, we did give it a full episode. I apologize, but go, go okay, on. Okay, yeah, and so I just didn't quite find that off the beaten path movie this summer that I really wanted to stand for, if you will, and so. Perhaps, uh, even though I saw more movies this summer <laughs> than I've normally seen in the theaters, and maybe we'll end up picking up one, but uh, I I guess I kind of I came up empty, and, and I found myself thrown into the arms of, of TV again <laughs> more uh, to get excited, but, you know, uh, that, that, that doesn't mean that, that, that there's anything wrong with that, but... Uh, I won't dive too far in other than to say I think I saw a lot of sevens and I didn't find my kind of like nine or nine point five or even ten uh, for for 2018 yet. So I'm kind of hoping maybe going into this fall, something will fall into place there. I've obviously got the highest hopes for first man um, and I'm hearing a lot of buzz on Roma, uh-huh. which is going to be Alfonso Cuaron's uh, new movie on Netflix. But uh, I'm actually not even sure what to expect when it comes to films of intrigue this this fall. So I'm hoping something will come up, surprise me, and uh, and uh, and I'll be able to come back on here and be like, "This is the movie." <laughs> you didn't see uh, American Animals Movie Pass sponsored? I know. I mean, they really wanted me to. I got it's, plenty of emails. It's really good. I, I really liked it. I was a big fan of American Animals. That's another one yeah. that I think you might enjoy quite a bit. But uh, yeah, all right. Well, I hear what you're asking about as far as kind of movies coming out this fall, and I do think there are a number. I just don't want to go over them right now because we got to start wrapping up. <laughs> but um, let's get to some of our feedback, 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 where we go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/podcast. I asked a number of questions for the audience, the listeners, and they gave us answers. But before we go into the questions, let's go into our poll where we put two movies against each other each week on this podcast. The idea is to vote for one to save it, and the one that comes up lacking is erased from existence. And uh, this week, uh, we I, I went for, because uh, The Old Man of the Gun came out, I went for uh, movies um, where the actors retired after. 
And I chose two terrible movies. <laughs> um, Welcome to Mooseport, featuring the final performance from Gene Hackman before he just kind of stopped acting. And The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with Sean Connery, who literally quit acting because of this movie. Um, mm. So with those two in mind, John, before we get to our listeners, what, what would you choose to to save in this scenario? Welcome to Mooseport with Ray Romano and Gene Hackman or The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I I, I think you got to save The League. Any any reason? I, I, I don't know. I, va- I vaguely remember it looking slightly interesting to a young me. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I remember Connor. I mean, I, you save Connery. All right. That's why. Honestly, I, I mean, by that logic, I don't save the league because maybe Connery would keep acting because he didn't have to act in that movie. Yeah, that'd be my because I really don't like either of these movies very much at all. So I'd, I'd vote for I'd sadly vote for Mooseport just to like stop the league from happening. Also, because the Alan Moore comic is I really like the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And this movie is awful. It treats it awfully. So. Yeah. Let's see what our, our listeners said here. Let me click the thing. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, 37% Mooseport to 63% The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So I guess that movie um, continues to exist. That's uh, that's where we're at. I was going to say, you, I mean, those two movies were movies that were made into movies. That's, that's true. It did happen. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll update our list on movies that do not exist anymore that I can never reference again because our show obviously is very reference-heavy when it comes to Welcome to the Mooseport. Um, in the meantime, let's go over our uh, questions here. Uh, first up, what's your favorite Robert Redford performance? Christine has Spy Game. Eric has The Natural and Jeremiah Johnson. Chris has Have to Go Old School, Butch Cassidy and The Sting, Pure Class. Scott has Out of Africa and The Sting. April has The Natural. Justin has The Natural, Sneakers and Peach Dragon. And Philip has Roy Hobbs from The Natural. John, do you have a favorite Robert Redford performance? I mean, it's probably, it's got to be Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I think, for me. Yeah. I mean, that's just, uh, uh, I, I'm one of those jerks who, who, barely believes any art existed before i was born <laughs> but oh, so this uh, is a rare case for you <laughs> yeah so i was gonna say this is a rare old movie that i actually enjoy quite quite a bit all right um and i've always had fun watching when it comes on i actually uh, i wrote about this for IndieWire because they have this uh, critic survey every week and the question of last week was favorite red performances so i wrote the three days of the condor which I I do like a lot. I, I think he's very good in it because it's. I feel like I feel like I like Redford when he's rattled a bit more when he's like because he's so cool and everything and that's there's nothing wrong with that as far as how his screen persona has been portrayed. But I like when he gets a little bit kind of knocked out of his natural element, and that's a movie that I think really does that. All is Lost is another great one too, um, where he's trapped in the boat by himself, so it's all Redford for ninety minutes and it's very good. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, favorite films about cops and robbers. Uh, Justin has the usual suspects and Alan, Philip, and Chris all wrote heat. Any other favorite films about cops and robbers kind of specifically involving both? I mean, I just enjoyed hell or high water a lot. Well, there you go. That's a perfect example. That's a great example. Yeah, of cops and robbers. Um, I like that. I don't know. What about you? That's a great, I mean, heat would be my go-to and it's been mentioned many times already, but I mean, cop, that, that's a, that, that is a great pick. I, I do I, hell or high water. I, it's, it's a really fun movie. It's it's really good. It's about I know. I'm trying to bashing think on Sheridan earlier. I do think that's a really good movie. It wasn't my top ten. <laughs> I know. I I feel like this was one where if I had gone into it, it like had a few days to think about oh, yeah, it. Sure, I know it's an off the cuff question. Uh, so I'm like, like I, I I feel like I vaguely have 
so many things flashing before my head of people like especially in like a bank and then cops outside of the bank. <laughs> um, but I just can't think of any others off the top of my head right away. All right, no problem. Anyway, that's it for our feedback. So let's uh, let's move on. Feedback, 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 feedback. Thank you. Let's move on to our, our wrap-up now here. Let's go over some things that are coming out on Blu-ray, a little thing we call Out Now Presents Out Now. These are films that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD or streaming, as well as things that are on Netflix and Prime. Uh, first, you can get, feel free to give a year and eight any of these if, you, if that applies. Uh, we have Sicario, Day of the Soldado, speaking of Taylor Sheridan. And that's my one blind spot. I got to... I... I even have it on streaming right now, so I just gotta watch it. Yeah, I'm pretty. I heard, I heard it's a, it's not a yeah or nay. Maybe it's a meh. Yeah, I'm kind of in the <laughs> meh on that one. Uh, the first purge is the first I one. <laughs> I haven't seen, it. I haven't seen any of the purges. I'm afraid. All right. Uh, Three identical strangers. This is a popular documentary among the many from this past summer. Um, I was quite a fan. I do think it comes up a little lacking towards the end, but I do think it's presented very well. Um, the story that's being told is pretty interesting. Another documentary called The King that goes over Elvis in a some way. It's not like a full-on story of Elvis. I think it's more about like his legacy, if I had to, going by the trailer that I saw for it. Um, Leave No Trace. This is the from the director of Winter's Bone. I really like this movie. I think it's great. Um, it came out this summer in small capacity, and it's unfortunate that it hasn't gotten more acclaim, but I do think it's a really, really good movie that anyone should catch up with if they can. Um, wink wink to John um, <laughs> uh, Tales from the Hood 2 sequel to Tales of the Hood finally I suppose I know Abe's a big fan of the first Tales from the Hood or at least some segments of it. it's an anthology horror film it's also a directed video this week Death Race colon Blood Anarchy another chapter of the Dead Race franchise Death Race franchise so yeah mm. <laughs> Um, here we go back on track step brothers 10th anniversary 4k edition Ooh, interesting so a new release for step brothers so i mean you can't watch step brothers enough mm-hmm. uh let's see fast and the furious the first three films get a 4k upgrade this week so if you want to upgrade your fast and furious movies to 4k the first three you can do that uh let's see Vikings season five volume one for all you vikings fans that's out on blu-ray this week and lastly, Rescue Me, the complete series, now on Blu-ray. Any Rescue Me fans? I like Rescue Me quite a bit. I don't need to own it, but I, I, I did like that show. I'll go there. All right, on Netflix this week, Hold the Dark, which I mentioned earlier, starring Jeffrey Wright, directed by Jeremy Saulnier. Uh, that's on Netflix now. And it's a new month, so a bunch of things now enter Netflix. So I just picked one at random, and I saw Rumble in the Bronx. It's now on Netflix. So yeah, Jackie Chan fans, go watch Rumble in the Bronx. Have fun with that. Um, on Prime this week, nothing notable that was new that I saw, but I noticed Pushing Daisies, the complete series, is now on Prime. John, I think you're a Pushing Daisies fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Both, both, you can revisit both seasons now on Prime if you want to. Um, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I actually own the first season on DVD. Well, so. you can watch the second season in HD on Prime. <laughs> Kablam! Yeah. Um, and also, uh, British TV-wise, Edgar Wright's Spaced TV series is now on uh, Prime, as mm. well as The uh, the Thick of It, uh, which stars the previous Doctor, Dr. Peter Capaldi, in his more well-known role as a Malcolm Tucker, a very swear-heavy person. If you like Veep, uh, The Thick of It is the first show that I'm, or the, the, the show prior to that uh, that Armando Iannucci was a uh, showrunner of, um, and which led to the film... Um, Oh, what's it called now? I just uh, in the loop. I almost forgot. Um, but yeah, so 
if you're a fan of that, then you can watch the thick of it. It's now on uh, Amazon. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's what's out now. Let's go on to next week. Next week's show, we're going to have a double episode because there's no separating these two. A Star is Born and Venom. Both of those. We're talking about both of those next week. Gosh. Both movies, <laughs> A Star is Born and Venom. Yep. We didn't even get around to Venom being PG-13. We didn't, but we can talk <laughs> We can talk right now in three words. Venom is PG-13. <laughs> so oh, no! <laughs> it means nothing to me because there's been plenty of superhero movies and the rating has never really guided me either way on how they're supposed to be regarded. But regardless, there we are. Venom, Star is Born. One show, one time. Or whenever you listen to podcasts. I don't dictate that. Um, but yeah. Uh, last thing we do here. What should people go and see now? What do you plan to see next? John, what should people see in theaters right now? Um, what should they see in theaters right now? Why don't you tell them? I will say, if you can find The Old Man and a Gun, that's really good. It's really fun. Uh, you can see that in limited release. So it will spread wider in the coming weeks. Sisters Brothers has spread a little bit wider. I think it's also going to keep spreading wide, though. Um, and I really like that. And if you want something that's already wide, House of a Clock in Its Walls, good fun. You don't, you've, if you haven't seen it by now, that means you did not listen to me last week when you could see it in IMAX and have and see Thriller in 3D before that. But the movie's still fun too, so you know it's out there. Um, unfortunately, I don't think there's anything I've seen <laughs> that I could tell you to go see because I, I, I feel like people would be better spending their time going to see something different than Assassination Nation. Fair enough. It's all good. So, uh, what are you seeing next? What are you seeing next? I mean, I'm still holding out hope that I somehow get to see The Predator, but uh, I think they're... I don't know. I really... For some reason, I've become de- I've become less interested, but I, there's a high chance I'll go see Venom. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, I love Venom. He's one of my favorite characters. Uh, I like Tom Hardy. They're probably going to mess this up pretty bad, but uh, I might give it a shot. And then, I mean, there's there's probably a part of me inside of me that uh, wants to see A Star is Born. It'd be interesting if it really was just this very sincere thing that was good. There's not much. That's what it's supposed to be. That's everything I, know, I hear with I know uh, director Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I know. Um, obviously, the thing I most want to see and can't wait for is first man, and that's two weeks from yeah, now. Yeah, you got, you got almost no time to wait, so you're good on that. <laughs> there you go. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if... Uh... If I have an itch that Venom needs to scratch next week, but otherwise, yeah, I'll be in that early screening of First Man for sure. All right. Well, with all that said, that you you can uh, you can find more of my work at the codezeek.com. All my stuff filters there. Eventually, you can find me writing on We Live Entertainment. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. John Van Dyke. Where can people find more of you online? Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of worthless online, but if you if you need, you know up the amount of people you follow on Twitter. Uh, I guess you can hit me at Sir John Van Dyke. Um, and then otherwise, you know, if there's ever something I need to trumpet, I'll, I'll let you kids know. But uh, for the time being, just just know me as the guy who comes in and kind of knows about things and kind of watches things sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you can find all the other episodes about now with Aaron and Abe over on iTunes, Audioboom, and Spotify. 
Um, you can find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at facebook.com slash Facebook.com podcast and twitter.com slash underscore podcast. Um, it's at that time. It's October. So that means send even more scary clown gifts to Abe over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. The more the merrier. That's what I always say. And yeah, that's uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Out There and Abe. John, thank you very much for joining me for this solo round episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for indulging the television world for one episode here. I'm happy to. Um, and uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. For sure. So until next time, so long and goodbye. Back in the 90s.